Can I just jump in for a second? Is that okay? I want to I show you a picture of something I saw when I was in Israel, and it's going to connect back to this song. Um, but when I was in Israel, and we're about to, we got a team, we got a meeting after service. We're excited. We're getting ready to go to Israel. And I hope, uh, man, over the next few years, I hope many of you will go to Israel and see some of the things that we talk about and we experience. But when I was there, we got to see some amazing things. Um, I think of Caesarea Maritima, which is right on the water. And uh, there's this beautiful, all these foundations that are there that are still laid from over 2,000 years ago, the time of Jesus. We see the same stuff. There's a beautiful amphitheater right on the water that this was built right in the time of Jesus. These things were constructed and they're still standing today. And they were built by a man named King Herod, who's going to be connected to the message. Stop right here on this slide, um, the message in just a moment. But King Herod was the king over Israel, over this area during the time when Jesus was born. It's really important. And this man was great at building things. In fact, he actually built and beautified the temple, and it started to be called Herod's Temple, um, if you've studied any of that part of the biblical history. But when I was in Israel, we're driving towards this mountain, and they said, we're going to go to Herod's fortress. And I said, okay, and I'm looking, and there's like nothing anywhere, and then I, there's just this mountain. And I said, where is the, where's the fortress out? Is it behind the mountain? Is it over there? They said, the fortress is the mountain. I said, what do you mean the fortress? They said, that's the fortress. When you get closer, you can actually see it's not a mountain. And let's do another zoom in of the photo there. It's a fortress. What you're looking at is not a giant mountain. It is a fortress that was built by King Herod. And I want you to know this speaks of something. Because when you get to know about this kind of king, when you get to know about this kind of person, he was such an insecure person. And he had built everything that he had with his hands. And it was magnificent and it was powerful and it was... But he was appointed a leader at a time, and he was a king. But there was another king who was promised that was coming, who was about to be born. And he was the king of kings. He wasn't just the king of, of his people. And this is the king of the time. He had a fortress that was a mountain. Talk about making a mountain out of a molehill. Or, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, he literally erected a mountain and made it. And look at this further picture. It's like an artist rendering of what this looked like back in Herod's day. And that's, that, that's it right there. That's his fortress. And it goes all the way down into that mountain. I actually took pictures. This is a picture that I took of me climbing down inside of that mountain and going down into the caverns. Pastor, what are you talking about? This is what I felt the Lord showing me. I will build my life upon your love. It is my firm foundation. But here's a picture of building our life on something else, on ourselves. And I just felt in my spirit to share with you today. Some of us, we have fortresses that we have built in our lives to protect what we want most, to protect what we have, to protect whatever it is we're trying to control. And I want you to know that as we get into the word in just a moment, we really are left with two choices. What we just sang about in worship, I will build my life on your love, on the right foundation. It's my firm foundation. Or we can choose to erect fortresses in our hearts, to try to protect the things we want to hold back from God. And I want you to know you will have no peace in your life if you do that. Right. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, help me 
to communicate this word. Help me to be sensitive to your spirit. And Holy Spirit, I pray more than anything else that my thoughts, that your thoughts would be made known to your people today. And Lord God, I just ask you to speak clearly. I ask you to say things that I don't even say to the hearts of every person listening. And Lord God, would you just confirm your word? Would you uh, make it very clear to us? And I pray today, Lord God, in your house, there will be like, uh, there will be a turning of hearts, Lord God. Uh, there'll be a turning of hearts towards you, Lord God, that you would just speak, Lord God, that you would allow us to pursue you like we've never pursued you before uh, because of what you want to speak to us today. And so I ask for that for myself, Lord God, for every person um, all throughout to those that are watching online, Lord God, just come and speak a word in season to us right now. In your name we pray. Amen and amen and amen. God is good. Amen. Amen. He's very good. Can we give it up for, um, for those that serve in this house so faithfully? I appreciate our choir, our worship ministry. But you know what, what I've noticed, church, over the last couple months? Man, I've noticed our hospitality team, my, our greeters, our ushers, those that are greeting as we're walking in. Can we give it up for those that serve in those areas? We're so thankful for you. Thank you. Um, that team's going to continue to grow. You saw it on the announcements, but I hope that you'll join. Uh, there's nothing like making a great first impression. We're in the season of um, hospitality in our homes. We're thinking about inviting people in, caring for people. We want to do the same here in this house, and we want to make room for that. And so uh, if you'll join our hospitality team, I think it'd be a great blessing. So uh, I hope a lot of you will ambush Pastor Bobby today after service and get signed up and get on the team. But uh, if you have your Bibles open with me to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. I just wanted to keep worshiping the Lord. I was like, you know, we should just keep going. Maybe we won't go into the message uh, today. I want to try to keep my thoughts brief to you. This morning, I want to talk to you about um, the idea of pursuit. And what I think about when I think about this season and pursuit, I get a very specific picture, and it was... Uh, really brought to me about a week and a half ago when I was in Pittsburgh, um, and I, I was there for Thanksgiving staying with family, and I stay uh, in a town that's a suburb of Pittsburgh called Monroeville, and in Monroeville, it's close to where my mom lives and, and where the rest of my family is, uh, so we just get a hotel in that area. This time, the hotel that we had booked uh, was right on the property of the mall that's there. So it was right on the outskirts of it, and it was facing, our window was facing the mall. So at the end of our day, after we were with family and we were done with our Thanksgiving meal, we come up, we go upstairs, and we're on the eighth floor, and I look out of my window, and what do I see as I look at the mall parking lot? Can anyone fill in the blank with me? You see a mass accumulation of people and cars and lines, and it was like a swarm, you know, uh, just swarming there, traffic and people getting in, and, and, and I'm like, pursuit. Man, it's just a pursuit, and you can see people, and there used to be pictures and stuff of people trampling each other. Why? Because they got to get to that thing. There's just this, this incredible pursuit that hits. As soon as the, the turkey hits our stomach, something gets in us, and we like lose our minds, and we just want to pursue, and people are doing ungodly things for a $5 stuffed animal, or a, a, you know, like we're just losing our salvation because we're pursuing something. Um, and some of you are feeling really guilty right now. You know, you know who, who I'm talking to, I guess. But I don't, so you don't have to feel bad coming up to me. Uh, no, but that's what happens. And, and there's this pursuit. Go back to the first Christmas, and it was all about pursuit. You know, 
As I read Matthew chapter 2, I see three simultaneous pursuits that are happening. And I want to talk to you about it because the Lord burst something in my own heart and challenged me from this passage of Scripture. And here's the, here's the word that, that I feel in my heart to share with you, that the posture of your pursuit of Jesus is directly connected to the measure of peace that you have in your heart. The posture of your pursuit of Jesus is directly connected to the measure of peace that you have in your heart. How we pursue him makes all the difference. Why we pursue him makes all the difference. And what we see here is we're going to see three snapshots of three ways of pursuing Jesus. And I want you to tell you clearly only one of them has the power to change your life. Only one of them has the power to transform your heart. Only one of them can fill you with peace this season. And so let's take a look at that together. Matthew chapter 2. And we're just going to read the first two verses. We're going to walk through uh, the first 12 verses throughout this message. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, who we just talked about, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. So we see that these Magi, they're pursuing the King of the Jews. Well, when they get to Jerusalem to the center of all of God's movement and history, this focal point, they get to that place and they come asking a question, where is the one who was born king of the Jews? For some, for you and me, that doesn't sound very troubling, but for someone in particular, that was a very troubling statement. For the man who built the mountain out of the molehill, for the man who built a fortress, uh, in the, for the man who built all these things, who the man who called himself and was known as the king of the Jews, Herod, he was literally given that area to rule by Caesar Augustus. He was the one that was meant to rule as king over the Jewish people. So when someone comes asking, who's the one born king of the Jews, to a man who's already insecure, this was troubling. And so here's what it says in verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And when the king and the leaders disturbed, all the rest of Jerusalem is disturbed with him. What, what's going on? There's a threat. See, King Herod, the, the picture I showed you, and we can bring that back up of that fortress, that was a physical picture of a of really what was going on inside of King Herod's heart. I want you to get a picture of that. This was a man who was so insecure because all of these things he built like this, these were ways of trying to get security, protection, and he was one with enough resource and enough that this was his way of getting it. Fortresses are built for protection, right? They are literally there for security. And so when you need a fortress the size of a mountain, that speaks to your security, right? Uh, he, he's reaching for But this is a picture of what was going on in his heart. And, and I could tell you that, but I could give you a lot of history that comes right alongside of this. This is even outside of the Bible, you can learn this history about King Herod. He was such a paranoid person that he had his father killed. He, the man had 10 wives. He had most of them killed. Some of them, they were called accidents. But historians would say, yeah, that, that was a murder as well. 
He was threatened by his two sons and thought that they might try to overtake him, so he killed them. Um, this is a man who just tried to, he, he was so uh, insecure about his leadership. And I think that there was a reason because he was sitting in a throne that wasn't his own. He was there in a time when the king of kings was being born into the world. I would guess that everything within him realized I'm not where I'm supposed to be, but he fought to keep that power. And so when this word came, it troubled him, it disturbed him, and it speaks of a pursuit because he began to pursue Jesus because of this word that was given. He had commissioned the Magi and he commissioned another group. He said, go find out where this child is born. You're going to go worship him. I'm going to go worship him too. I'm going to worship him like I worship my other sons. Yeah, I'm going to work. You know, he's going to deal with him. King Herod wants to put an end to this immediately. And so, like I said, this fortress, this picture, this picture of King Herod, you could say, well, that's not me. But I want you to know it speaks of a type of pursuit of Jesus that we all could be susceptible to. And I want to call this first pursuit the selfish pursuit of Jesus. It's a self-centered pursuit. It's a pursuit for myself to feed my own self-interest, to actually, it, it, it normally is about making Jesus be who I want him to be, not for me to ever give up any of my own freedom. It was a way of he was pursuing Jesus for all the wrong reasons. I don't know if you've ever been there where you've pursued God because you just want him to bless your mess where you've run after anything and you've showed up because you, you never want to change. You don't have any intention of becoming any different. You want to make him fit into your life to make your life maybe better, um, but you're never going to actually give up any of your freedom. You're holding on. There's a, there's a selfish pursuit that can happen of Jesus. There's one where we actually come at God like he's our enemy, where he is distant from us, where we're coming at him and we're really fighting against him with the way we live our lives, with the way that we partake in things we shouldn't. I mean, all of that, I think all of life outside of a relationship with Jesus, it is a selfish pursuit. I want you to know a life disconnected from the grace of God is a selfish pursuit. A life where you're doing things that, that we would see as sin, as wrong. Man, I can look at my life when I was there. It was a selfish Pursued. I want you to know sin is selfishness at its core, isn't it? It's all about satisfying and gratifying ourselves. And I want you to know my life before I met Jesus could be categorized with two words, selfish pursuit. King Herod set out on a selfish pursuit of Jesus. And I want you to know that you will never find peace in your heart outside of him. He is our peace. And so what happened to King Herod, his heart was more and more troubled as time went on. He was never able to find peace, to find rest. And I want to speak to you about this because I want you to know if you're caught up in some kind of selfish pursuit, and it's entirely possible to be a follower of Jesus and get yourself into some, I would call it almost like a rabbit trail. Like Jesus said, come and follow me, but, but we've just kind of walked down this road over here. And we're just on a selfish pursuit of something. And in one step, we're following Jesus. But in the other step, we're being divided or we're being held up by something. The image that God gave me, even as we were worshiping today, was like that fortress that King Herod had. I think our selfish pursuits, if we continue in them, we build fortresses around certain areas in our lives, don't we? 
We say, God, you have freedom in all these areas. I mean, the words we just sang were words of surrender. When you come to Jesus, it is the opposite of that fortress. It is complete surrender of our life, right? Selfishness is the opposite of surrender. I really, I mean, surrender is giving up. It's really giving in. Some of you are like, I'm not, that's not who I am. Um, I don't surrender. I don't give in to anyone or anything. I want you to know until you surrender your life to Jesus, you'll never have peace. Until you surrender your life to Jesus, you'll never have hope. You won't ever experience the grace of God. Um, there has to come a place for every single one of us. Um, we don't come to the Lord holding back, holding on, creating fortresses and protected areas. We say, God, you can have all this in my life, but that's mine. That's mine. No, those are selfish pursuits, church. We have to repent of them. We have to level them. We have to completely surrender those areas. Are you with me? That's where the selfish pursuit will lead us. Ultimately, it leads towards more destruction, more pain, and an absence, a complete absence of peace. I want you to pray this week if there is something that is troubling your spirit and your heart, if there's some area in your life, and it could be anywhere, it could be in your family, it could be in your job, it could be in anything, and your heart is troubled, pray and say, Lord, is there a, is there a selfish pursuit that I'm on in some way, in some way? Is there something, Lord? Search me. Psalm 51, search me and know me. Like, see if there's any way in me. Is there a selfish pursuit? Is there an area that I've protected, that I've hunkered down, that I've made a fortress? See, Jesus came and... and this is what was going on inside of King Herod's heart. And I want you to know when Jesus is exposed as a king, and we sang about it today. It's awesome, the worship today, the, the songs. I mean, he's the king of our heart, right? But I want you to know if your life doesn't belong to Jesus, he's not the king of your heart. There's another king. He's an imposter. He's the prince of the air and the powers of the world. Uh, he's really king over our lives if Jesus isn't. Um, and you'd say, no, that's not the case. But yes, it is. If our life isn't surrendered to Jesus, um, man, we could be led astray. We can be suffering. We could be going through so much. Um, there's an imposter calling the shots. And, uh, and we, got, we got to allow that to be challenged. We got to allow Jesus to come and show us. And I want you to know if you surrender your life fully to Jesus. I'm talking to a lot of Christians today. And that word's really to you just as much as to someone that doesn't know Jesus. Until we fully surrender our lives to Jesus. Um, man, we're going to be caught up in, in selfish pursuits. So there's this one. And, 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 and in that pursuit, King Herod is... He set out for all the wrong reasons, but he's, he's running after Jesus. The second pursuit I want to talk to you about, we, we see as we get to verse 4. So King Herod, he calls together the, all the people's chief priests. Look in verse 4, in the teachers of the law. And he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Because you see, when the Magi came, all of Jerusalem was troubled by what they said. Did you remember that in verse uh, 2? I'm sorry, verse 3? They were all troubled. So they knew, everyone knew, this person has been born. The Messiah has been born. And they said, we've come to see him. We've seen the sign. So everyone's troubled now. What's going on? And Herod calls together all of the religious people. The Bible's saying here, these are the religious leaders. These are the teachers of the law. These are the chief priests. These are the head priests over the house of God. Those that are religious that are looking for God to move, okay? And they says, where is the Messiah to be born? And they said, in Bethlehem, in Judea, 
For this is what the prophet has written. They point to the prophecy in Micah. You, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. I mean, they just go right to it. They're like, oh, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Have a good time. And then they just sit on down because whenever I see the accounts of Jesus, none of these people have shown up at his, at, at his, at his birth. No one's there. I want you to know that it is very possible to be on a religious pursuit of Jesus where you know all about him, but you never actually experience him. There is entirely possible for our pursuit of Jesus to be a religious pursuit of him. where We get to know everything about him, everything about the story. He came to Bethlehem. He did this. He did that. And all the while, we've never actually encountered him for ourselves. Lord, help me. Help me when I get caught up in religious pursuits that are full of head knowledge and have no heart understanding. Something that can move and stimulate my mind but never move my feet to change anything or go anywhere. This is what a religious pursuit of Jesus looks like. It's like, yeah, I know it. They would have known Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, for unto us. And the Lord's been, I've been praying over this over the last week, this verse, just in my private time with the Lord. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders and he will be called, come on, you know it, church, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. In the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. There's going to be no end to his rule. There will be no end to the peace that he brings into our lives. That's the opposite of what the selfish pursuit gives us. Because that's just a complete absence of peace. It's a troubled heart through and through. But the religious pursuit, the religious pursuit is a dangerous pursuit. Because here's what it does. In, in, in the selfish pursuit, I believe that the end of that is always destruction and pain and heartache. That's the end of that one. But the end of the religious pursuit is, I would say, a more dangerous word. It is complacency. Complacency is comfortability, is staying where we are, getting stuck. The same way that I said that Herod was not the true king, he was a counterfeit king. I want you to know that when we look at complacency, I have a new definition for it for you today. I believe complacency is counterfeit peace. It is a fake peace that comes from your own comfortability, that comes from your own numbness to not following the promptings of God anymore, to knowing about him but not actually following him, not actually letting, not letting anything move beyond this. There's no warming in your heart. There's no road to Emmaus. Did not our hearts burn within us when the word was spoken? It's just a coldness. It's just like, a, a, like I know all about him, but, but I'm not experiencing the warmth of who he is anymore. I'm not, I'm not led and moved in my, in my being to join into what he's calling me to. A religious pursuit brings you to a place of complacency, of counterfeit peace. Some of us, man, we may think we have peace, but it's a counterfeit peace. It's just a complacency, and we're just numb now. And I want you to know that numbness is not peace. It's not a peace that fills you and fulfills you. It's one that's still lacking. So we pray against that. We pray against religious pursuits of Jesus 
Because we know he did not come. He didn't come. This season is not here. This church does not exist so that we can find religion. Because you can go anywhere else you can find religion. This is so people can come into a relationship with Jesus. There's a big difference. There's such a big difference than to know about him. That's religion. And to know him, experience him for yourself. Because I want you to know knowing about him. They knew about him. They knew where he'd be. They knew when he'd be there. And yet they didn't move their feet. They didn't experience him. So the religious pursuit leads to complacency. And then we come to this final pursuit. The Magi, they, they set out in verse 9. Because King Herod said, you know, go, go find him so that I could worship him. And they set out because they said, we've come to worship him. And I call the Magi's pursuit the worshiper's pursuit of Jesus. And come on up, Pastor Rick, the worship team. Because the worshiper's pursuit is different. I mean, I mean, it was influenced in the beginning even. There's a selfish pursuit, and he tries to get Magi on board with that. Like, hey, we're going. Like, come on, let's, let's go. Go find him. And as they set out, and as they get closer, they leave the counterfeit king, Herod, and they set out on their way, verse 9. And they saw where the star had risen ahead of them, and they waited until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. I want to tell you that a worshiper's pursuit of Jesus, it stops at nothing to find him. It presses through the wildernesses. It presses through the challenges. It presses through everything to get to Jesus. And it says they just kept pressing on. They're looking for him. They're looking for him. It's constantly looking for him. I want you to know that, that for that, you have to be willing to surrender. You have to be willing to surrender your schedule. I mean, these guys, they could have been looking forever. There was no other schedule for them. They're like, well, we'll pursue Jesus. But on Thursday, I do have that one. There was no more appointment. They came and they were going to go as far as they needed to go until they found him. I want you to know that's a worshiper's pursuit of Jesus. It's all in. That's not, that's not held unbound by anything else, but says, I'm going to seek him until I find him. I'm reminded of a prophecy in Jericho. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13, and God promises something. He said, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And guess what? I see worshipers coming that are seeking Jesus with all of their heart and they find him. They find him just as God promised. They didn't find him. I'm sure that just like me in Jerusalem, when I'm there and I'm saying, where's the, where's the palace? Where's this fortress at? I'm sure they're thinking, where's the palace at? Okay, it's a, it's a, it's a house, an inn. Okay, where, where is he at? Which room did you? No, okay, no, back, back here. Okay, hold on, in a feeding trough? Are you serious? Like we've come for the king and he's, he's here with the animals? He didn't come as we thought he would come, huh? But as we come and they see him, you know what the Bible says when they found him? They didn't plug their nose. They didn't scratch their heads. It says when they came to the house and they saw the child with his mother, Mary, think about it in the filth, in the feeding trough, in the middle of where animals are being held to. It says they bowed down and they worshiped him right there. And they opened their treasures to him. They presented him with gold and frankincense and myrrh. Come on, church, let the word of God come alive to you today to see this is our king. This is a worshiper's pursuit of Jesus. It doesn't stop until they find him. And when we found him, he wasn't as they thought it should be, I'm sure. But they worshiped him there. Man, I hope I've convinced you there's only one way to pursue Jesus today. 
is a worshiper's pursuit. It's giving him all of our heart, all of ourselves. And when we worship him, it's with our whole being. It's with our time, our, our talent. It's with our treasure. They opened themselves. They gave of themselves. They surrendered completely to Jesus. The word today, if you want to have a worshiper's pursuit of Jesus, is surrender. It's surrender. It's surrender here. It's surrender here. It's surrender here. Because what held them back in the other two pursuits was some kind of going all in, some kind of opening their heart, some kind of getting beyond themselves and just giving in to follow God wherever he would lead. Would you stand to your feet with me today? Oh, Lord Jesus. Lord, the selfish pursuit leads to destruction and the, the religious pursuit, it leads to complacency, Lord, but a worshiper's pursuit it leads to transformation, Lord God, in your presence. We are not who we used to be because of it, Lord God. And today, Lord, we just renew our commitment, Lord God, to pursue you with everything we have. Looking back, Lord, we won't do it anymore, Lord. Looking to the left or to the right, we give up on that, Lord. Today, we search after you. We seek after you with our whole hearts, with our whole lives. Lord, we build our lives upon you. And Lord God, we won't be shaken as we do that. Lord, we choose to pursue you, Jesus, in this way. Help us, Lord God, to change the posture of our pursuit. I pray for those who have lacked peace. I pray for those who are stuck in complacency, Lord God, that today, Lord God, there will be a warming in their heart, Lord God, that they will be reminded that you have come to give them life and to give it to them abundantly, Lord God. And we pray against complacency. We pray against selfishness, Lord God. We pray against, Lord God, the many fortresses that have been built up in our own hearts, our own lives, Lord God. They have stopped, halted, and hindered our pursuit of you. Today, Lord, we surrender. If that's for you today, would you surrender to Jesus? My words won't change you. My words won't save you. My words won't do anything. It has to come from your heart to him today, right now. If this word bears witness in your soul, in your life, cry out to him. Even now, surrender to him. Jesus, Lord God, look over your people. See us, Lord God. See our hearts. Search us, Holy Spirit. Speak a word to each one.